0: Thank you so much for joining me once again on my weekly podcast about language and how linguists can help organizations solve problems associated with diversity and inclusion. So this morning is a great honor and pleasure to be speaking with Professor Devayani Sharma, who I met during my studies at Queen Mary, and she's been very supportive and helpful throughout my journey as a student and now as a consultant. So, Devyani, thank you so much once again for agreeing to to speak with me this morning. And uh, before we kick, we, we get into it, I would want you to introduce yourself and tell our listeners who you are, some who have not heard about you, some who have heard and want to know more about what you do. Yes.
1: Okay, sure, Mami. Thank you so much for having me on. It's it's really nice to chat with you about these um themes, and I think the initiative that you have to, to you know, bring these issues to wider attention uh, is really great, really important. Um, as Mame said, my name is Devyani Sharma. I'm a professor of sociolinguistics at Queen Mary University of London, and I do research on um, lots of different kinds of language and cultural contact situations and looking mostly at English dialects and how they develop and change as a result of those social situations. Um, So I'm interested in a lot of different aspects of how people speak, why we vary the way we speak. We have different accents, we speak in different styles in different situations and all of these very subtle differences in how people speak is what interests me and what especially what they, these slight differences tell us about um, our backgrounds, even our brains and how we, uh, how we process language. Um, specifically in relation to the themes that you're talking about, MAME, um, language bias and accent bias in the real world, um, some of the wider issues that I'm interested in and that I think linguists should have a part in talking about with the general public are, well, are in a way awareness of how language works and how assumptions about what language is can be inaccurate or can lead to dangerous you know, um, outcomes uh, societally. So uh, in a country like the UK, we actually have a very long, centuries-long history of strong attitudes to accents, that accent somehow tells you your social place, tells you a person's place in society. And there's a kind of an acceptable side to that, which is we know that regions have different ways of speaking and it's a part of the culture to have all these different um, sounds and voices and to a great degree in the i'll just, just focus on the uk because that's um i think that's kind of the focus but if, yeah. if you want to talk about other situations we can but in the uk i think to a great extent it's a positive part of the culture you know people like to hear differences and they like to know a lot about um the accents of regions they're from or other other regions but when we look at the professional context or what we think of as points where your life chances or your um, uh, achievement in life can be affected there can be a kind of negative a dark side to that which is because we have strong social associations with accents we also have very strong assumptions about people with those accents so a, a big area in sociolinguistics is to look at what those effects are and we don't want to assume they're always present but to test whether they're present and what the consequences might be. Um, and I think it's it's a very kind of delicate thing to engage with the public about that, because um, we also have to acknowledge a lot of realities of of people with accents, people's, uh, you know, how people process accents. So yeah, I'm happy to talk more. But in general, that's one of the areas that I'm interested in. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, for
0: someone who's listening to us who hasn't heard anything about language-related bias or somebody who has even heard about it but is not sure what that is, can you explain what, what it is and why you think it's important that we pay attention to that?
1: Yeah, definitely. So there, bias is a funny word because there's a kind of neutral meaning of bias in the sense that all humans have it and that's how our brains work. So right now I'm talking to you, or when I'm out shopping, anything like that, our brain can't fully process all the information around us, and so we have these shortcuts that we rely on, not just with language, with everything, where we try and predict things about the world to make it easier to process. So it would be wrong of linguists to say, oh, people who have bias are really bad people, they're evil, they shouldn't have it. Everybody has it, because we can't process Uh, anything without making quick judgments so when I hear a female voice or when I hear a young voice I immediately have some associations that are based on my past actually not just it's not crucially it's not based on really reality or correct understanding but it's more a, a kind of generalization quick generalization Usually those are not harmful necessarily, you know. And a lot of people, increasingly, I feel, are careful and try to be aware of assumptions. But um, the the point at which bias becomes what we might call discrimination is when we rely on those quick associations. You know, this is a working class accent. I'm going to just assume the person hasn't got as advanced a degree as somebody with a posh accent. When we rely on those kinds of um, shorthand, inaccurate or very simplistic associations to make judgments that have consequences, like, is this person competent for this job? Is this person I trust with a certain task at work? Is this person someone that I would speak to as a friend versus at work um, or consider them for my team? Those have very uh, serious consequences. And s- our feeling is, unlike gender and race, where there's been a lot of discussion of unconscious bias um accent bias is a little bit under the radar still and people tend to feel they probably don't have it or they don't know what it is and well of course of course someone with this accent might have this background and they don't realize that having biases against certain accents is a way of of um exercising social class bias racial bias gender bias so yeah so there's a bit of awareness raising to be done there where um and and we try very hard to say, we're not saying you shouldn't have associations because that makes people very um, uncomfortable and very stressed because actually you can't, you know, if you try to not have associations with what you hear, it's impossible. What we try to say is be aware of associations. And also, I think with, with more um, diverse exposure, people's actual associations change as well. So those are, uh, you know, different goals. One is to be aware, one is also to change those associations with more diverse hiring and so on.
0: Thank you so so much. So I think the key word there is the awareness, and that goes a long way to mitigate against the negative consequences of such uh, assumptions that we we all hold, and we all uh, it's almost impossible to say that you don't have them, but being aware of them and making that conscious effort to not not to let them in, uh, impede your judgments especially mm-hmm. in the in, in the hiring process being for higher education or a job is mm-hmm. what we are talking about here and that it's important that we pay attention to so thank you so much once again for those pointers so uh you've done a lot of work with language um accent bias particularly and um i mean i'm i'm sure so um if we have an HR manager listening to us for example they'll probably say okay I'm aware that language related uh, accent bias or language related bias exists how do I make sure that or what are some of the things I can do during the hiring process to make sure that I don't uh, victimize or I don't um, tend to judge people because judgments and evaluations are things that HR managers or we all do make so how do we how do we use this awareness or this knowledge? to prevent discrimination and, uh, um, yes, stereotyping people. uh,
1: Yes. yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So, yes, uh, along with uh, uh, some colleagues, so Professor Erez Levon was the lead on this project and um, some other colleagues, we had quite an extensive research project on accent bias in the UK. If people are interested, if they Google accent bias Britain, They'll see a lot of detail about what I'm talking about now. And one of the goals was exactly, as you say, to um, to check what kinds of accent preferences are out there in the UK. It hadn't been uh, done in a systematic way for a long time. Um, we, we also wanted to then test if we find bias, is there any hope for actually getting people to mitigate it, as you say, uh, in in situations where it needs to be done. Um, so the first thing is that we did find a number of forms of accent bias, especially bias against working class London accents. We looked at five accents in detail, northern and southern, and working class and, and more middle class. And it was the Um, traditional white working class London accent and also the newer multi-ethnic working class London accents that had the most um, experience, received the lowest ratings, uh, uh, significantly lower ratings um, when people heard their voices in the context of giving job interview answers. So the way we tested it was actually to have identical answers, but in different accents and across lots of people. So they didn't hear the the examples side by side. We found that overall, even though they were giving exactly the same answer, these two accents in particular were downrated. So that's a concern because that shows that in the general public, somebody saying exactly the same answer in an interview, in this case for a, a A junior position in a law firm, would be judged to be less competent even though they said the same thing. That's very troubling to see, it's not that surprising, but that's the kind of thing that we want to address. We were quite pleasantly surprised when we did a similar study in law firms, um, and we didn't find this kind of bias, but the law firm study was a bit different because it would be very easy for them to kind of cheat and say, oh, they must be looking at accent, I'll give everybody a high score. So the answers, because the lawyers are experts, we made the answers slightly better or slightly worse, and they heard a mix. So overall, the lawyers heard bad, poorer answers in all accents. So they couldn't really just give a boost to the accents they know we might be interested in, because sometimes those working class accents were giving a bad answer, and they should actually hear that. And the lawyers were extremely good at They they showed no significant effects of bias against anything. In fact, the only possible slightly lower rating was for the standard received pronunciation accent. It was almost a bit like they expected more of those speakers and they had a higher bar for them. But it was very, uh, as I said, um, we don't interpret this as lawyers have no bias. Uh, We know that in a lot of elite professions, there are issues especially also progressing through the career. So do you get senior positions? And we were only looking at the interview context and where the accent affects the judgment. So we didn't even look, uh, because we, you know, when you do research, like I said, it has to be quite focused on one thing at a time. We couldn't look, for instance, at the overall interaction in an interview. Does the person get interrupted more? Do they smile more? So these things can also play a part. So we like to stress that even though we found that lawyers were really good at listening to the content and they didn't act against certain accents, and it was quite a tough task because they couldn't really tell. There was no hint to them that this is a better. They had to really listen and ignore the accent, and they did that. Um, so the, the good part of that that we feel and we like to mention is that it seems possible because there's a lot of training in law firms and also the people who participated in this were probably people who were more willing to make time for it. It's possible to set aside accent preferences when you're listening. You know, so we it, you know, tentatively conclude from that that these lawyers, first of all, they're very much trained to listen to content. There's also a big initiative in in law firms to hire more diversity, to, to uh, combat a history of being more elite in hiring. And I think it's evidence that, at least in this tiny way, it's possible to at least set aside biases in that moment. What we need is a more complete understanding of where bias can occur in language and otherwise in the process of getting into elite professions. Mm-hmm. So I think it's very interesting to look at linguistic and non-linguistic in the cues during an interview, not just your accent, but things like how much people uh, like the way you responded. You know, you can tell from the body position from, um, and from the structure of the conversation. I think that's one thing that you might talk about in other, um, other episodes that you're doing. So not just accent bias, but bias in terms of how the conversation is structured is the person getting the same kinds of openings to respond and are there openings being accepted in the same way? These are things that that I think it's also very important to highlight, even though our project didn't look at them. Um, mm-hmm. So we don't like to conclude there's no bias, but we do like to say it's possible to set aside bias and people should work on that. And the last thing I'll mention is that we tested interventions. So it's all very well, and this is if, if HR people or you know um, professional recruiters are listening, it I think it's very important for us to be careful in recognizing what's practical and what's really doable. That's what you're asking as well. What can people actually do? So we didn't want to just go out and say, well, be better and don't be so biased. We wanted to test whether reminding people not to be biased has any effect. There's actually some research that shows that sometimes it doesn't have an effect. So some research looking at um, reminding recruiters before they look at CVs or do interviews, uh, not to be biased in terms of gender and race doesn't have an effect. You know that they they don't really want to be told anymore because they're aware. But what we found, we tested five different ways of um, intervening, of of just before someone does a recruiting task, telling them either to commit to um, not being biased or giving them facts about acts and bias, things like that. Um, different ways of raising their awareness. And the one that worked the best was actually the simplest one, which was just, please be aware that such a thing as bias against accent exists, please try to ignore accent and focus on what the person said. And we actually found it reduced differences in ratings of people with different accents when people were told that. And... It's interesting that we found that because as I said, for gender and uh, racial bias awareness doesn't always work. And I think that might be because people haven't thought about accent bias as much. So when they're told, they actually take note of it and they say, oh yeah, actually, I tend to rely on how people speak, but I I shouldn't. Um, So we did find an effect. And so on um, our website, uh, accentbiasbritain.org, we have uh, some training resources that organizations can use it's like a 10 minute training and it helps people listen to different accents and become aware of oh that's the kind of thing i should set aside and how you know practice focusing on, on just what the person's saying thank you so much so it's, i mean this is
0: so important to, to 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 let people know that just those little things can go a long way to make a difference you know, and that's yeah. what all the, all this is all about. And I particularly like your point about the interactions and paying attention to the other cues that are going And I think that's something that non-linguists might not necessarily do. And that's what people like us can do. And so if anybody's in- interested, I mean that's that's where linguistic expertise can yeah. actually help. So there's a lot there's a lot if you go to the accent bias website, there's a lot of information that you can start using now. But if you want more details on how you can actually improve and see more systematic change, then you would want to hire somebody who's actually going to look at the interactions and say, look, at this point, this is what, what is going on. That's, that's a possible uh, indication that there's some sort of bias going on. Then these are things that we, we are not trained to, to look at.
1: You yeah, know, so. I, I totally agree, you know, uh, um, when we do the kind of project we did, we just go out and do a survey and we, uh, we did go into law firms with, just to get them to do our experiments. And what you're describing is... Um, somebody so you know a lot of firms say this is recorded for quality purposes (laughs) these kinds of um, and you have to ask yourself how do you check the quality of those recordings and one of the things is to have an expert and uh, linguists do this and they're, they're linguists who've worked with the with the police on their interviewing techniques and things like that and so firms should also just be aware that those resources are Available where you can hire someone to actually, in much more detail, not just looking at accent as you say, go through what's the structure of conversations that happen with people who who call on a call center line or who call or apply do a phone interview, and um, yeah, is there a structure of conversation that's working against certain people with nobody realizing, neither the applicant nor the interviewer is realizing there's a little bit of more positive signals to certain kinds of interviewees and and they're not aware of it exactly but you know i'm excited about the positivity
0: or the positive outcome of you i'm equally concerned that someone like me who doesn't even have a british accent so if if someone who has a british accent is being discriminated against how much more me who doesn't have a british accent You know, know,
1: there's a lot more work on this in the U.S. There's uh, surprisingly less in the U.K., even though the U.K. cares a lot about accent, there's less work on it. So in the U.S., there's a lot of research showing dispreference of some non-native accents. But you can also get the reverse, where there's some studies that show that people are more forgiving with a non-native accent. So they just set it as outside my social Mm -hmm. system. So there can be... So like I said, we never want to... Completely assume what the mm. differences are. So some studies do show really even more difficulty for uh, an, an uh, either non-native or native, like you, like native but foreign accent or mm. outside. Um, but I think in the in the present world, it's really crucial for companies to get past that because it's more and more international. And it's I think that the positive of that is people are increasingly hearing more voices, and there's a gradual process through which people forget about you know they just there was a time when a lot of people were not used to seeing women in the workplace you know and now it's not like cognitively they get a shock when they see a woman walking in so we should hope that accents, you know diversifying makes a difference as well yeah thank you Daviane. but before i let you go finally
0: um uh, because of your research interests on culture and society I'd want you to say one or two things. So the organizations, and, and I always cite Queen Mary, for example, that has a very diverse work, workforce and a diverse pool. But there's a potential problem for miscommunication because of the cultural differences that all these people who are communicating come to the workplace with. What would you say to organizations, or what what, what would you say about that, especially with mm. people who are already scoring very high on the diverse? teams yeah actually hiring diverse people but how do they ensure that there's equity at the workplace
1: yeah that's a great question i think one thing that um Um, since we've been working with hr teams a bit and law firms something that i found is very useful to do as an overall exercise and what you're describing fits into that is to talk about all the different levels at which language operates and to acknowledge and I think this is for both the um, the local, if you want to say, local employees. So in the UK context, you, if you say diverse, we often think there's the British, you know, tr- traditional non-heritage background, British people, and then people from different backgrounds that are less traditional British backgrounds. But I think for all of those groups, it's a very good exercise to think through what is language and what matters in the workplace and what actually doesn't, and to, to know what needs attention and what doesn't. So um, something that I think is good to acknowledge and, and linguists sometimes focus on the fighting the bias and, um, and the kind of dealing with miscommunication, but not acknowledging the importance of some aspects of language. So it is important. So for instance, in, in a law, job in a law firm, it is important to know the right vocabulary, to, you could argue to use standard grammar, you know, I mean, that's a different argument to have whether people should be able to, but we can accept that you need a certain style of language use. You need to be able to build an argument well, be organized in your, um, in, in talk and in writing, and these things, should be acknowledged, you know, so we're not saying people should just speak however they like and it should be a free for all. Accent is not crucial in the same way to what you're doing, the work you're doing as a lawyer. So so sometimes people mix mix up things like, oh, that person was being so casual, when actually it's the accent that they associate with working classes and what they weren't being casual. So, they, so separating these out and saying, yes, I expect, in this workplace, I expect clear communication, um, a logical structure in an argument, but I'm not going to expect that someone who's used a certain pronunciation all their life can, it's the thing that you can least change, you know, you can develop your vocabulary, you can develop your interactional style even, but accent is something that is harder to change and less relevant. And when you say cultural miscommunication, I think that falls in the same category. So for commu- for good communication at work, we do need certain clear you know we need to be honest with each other we need to be clear and we need to respect each other and those things uh, i I find intercultural communication so fascinating because we all have different ways of signaling things like respect and politeness and um i actually i spoke to a young black british woman who was uh, did a, a program recently on code switching and she found it very frustrating that she was she and her dad especially, she said, were often perceived as not being polite when they were being polite. And she said, I feel like people are getting their their signals crossed. But I think it's important for all sides. So this is something a sociolinguist, um, John Gumper, said 50 years ago, that um, these things are not always intentional, but they can lead to negative relationships. So it's quite important, not just for one side to be told off, don't be biased against somebody who's come in from a different background, but both sides to have a little bit of a conversation about how do we signal and have a laugh sometimes about, oh yeah, I always do this, you always do that, Um, but also to recognize which bits of that really matter for work and which ones we can allow, you know, so I think that that kind of a little bit and people becoming mini linguists at work and recognizing what we should work on for for good relationships and what we can allow, uh, you know, a lot of diversity in. Mm Thank you so, so, so much, Deviani.
0: I have learned a lot just having this conversation with you, and I'm sure that our listeners will as well. So if you want to learn more or you want to speak to Professor Deviani Sharma, just head to our Queen Mary website and there's you, you can her email addresses there and she'll be more than willing to to engage with you and support your organization if if need be. But Daviani, I can't find the words to thank you enough. Thank oh, you so thank so you. much. I this think so. What you're
1: doing is so important. And I really hope people listen, you know, the different episodes you're doing and just raising awareness about these things in a kind of constructive way. I think it's great. So thank you. Thank you too, Daviani. Okay.
0: Bye.